Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 14, uh, verse 22. So Matthew 14, verse 22. says this. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and the beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. All right, let's come to the message now. Uh, As has been mentioned, we are doing a series which we are calling Through the Storm, and the idea is very simple. We all know that life really is not a a relaxing sail through very calm waters. It, It has moments of calm, but I think we all know, like the disciples in this story, we can often find ourselves in the middle of storms, storms for these disciples in the middle of the night, storms which are terrifying to us. Or maybe we're like Peter where we are out on the water and we are beginning to sink and we feel like all is lost. And so this whole idea of storms being the challenges and hardships of life and how we go through those things. Here's what I find often happens. I think you will agree with me on this. When a person becomes a Christian, whatever age, or you were a Christian when you were a young person, In those moments, we are often so filled with joy over what God has done for us in Christ, we are are just absolutely astounded and we say, Jesus, I want to serve you with absolutely everything I have. Everything I have is yours. Use my life for your service. We make these great declarations and rightly so. When we look at our own lives, we say to Jesus, I want to commit to obeying you. I want to forsake all those old sins that used to be part of my life. I want to obey you. I want to follow you now. And so that's exactly what we do. We start working on changing those sinful habits. We pray for grace in them. We start living on mission for Jesus. We say, how how can I serve Jesus with my gifts? And so maybe you start volunteering somewhere. You're saying, Jesus, I want to serve you maybe by serving kids and kids ministry or something to that effect. Whatever your gifts are. 
Maybe you go on mission trips. Maybe you begin to open up your home to others, inviting them in and being more hospitable. Maybe you start raising your kids to know Christ. You're like, this is important. We got to do this. You start giving money away. You didn't do that before. Now you're giving money generously away to the causes of Christ. And, and when you're a new believer, whatever age, or, you're, or a young Christian, you're saying, I, I want to make a difference in this world. I want to help change the world. All that is good. All that is right. But then you soon discover that the whole thing is a lot harder than you think. You find yourself facing various storms. For instance, you discover that you went out to serve people in the name of Jesus and people, people are difficult. Even the very people that you're trying to serve or you start to learn, okay, I have some gifts, I have some abilities. You start to put those into practice, and, and you, you, you suddenly realize, okay, this is making some difference, but boy, my gifts aren't that strong, and there's many gifts that I don't have. This whole thing of serving Jesus, it's a lot harder than I thought it was. And despite all your great pronouncements to forsake all sin and obey Christ, you find that you easily seem to fall back into those old habits. Those desires that you have and those habits can be so strong and you find yourself in the middle of a storm battling against the waves of those habits and of those sins. So you had great dreams. You're finding it's harder than you thought. And here's the next step. The next step is we often fall prey to what we might call the deadly Ds. The letter D. Do you know some of the deadly Ds? Discouragement. Disillusionment. Disappointment. And even despair. And when that happens, when we get to that place in the storm and the deadly deeds are taking over our hearts, our reaction then is often to just stop, uh, to stop volunteering. That was just hard. I tried that. That was really difficult. Or, or we start saying, I'm going to stop taking risks. I was taking risks before and that didn't work out either. And, or maybe certain sins in our eyes are just, I got to accept this is just what I struggle with. This is just my lot in life. In other words, the storms are just too powerful. Despite all our great declarations at the beginning, it's, the storms are just too powerful. And so what often happens is we just hunker down in the middle of the boat. We try to make our lives as comfortable and as sheltered as possible and to try to ride out the storms as best we can. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know this experience of the storms of life maybe beaten away some of those dreams, some of those ambitions maybe you have had early on or even still have for serving Christ? I think this story is for you. And if you're not in that moment now, you will be someday, I guarantee it. This story, though, is so incredible for us. Why? Because it's so realistic about how hard life can be and how bad the storms can be. It's very realistic, and yet on the other hand, it is so encouraging. And so what I'm praying is going to happen this morning is that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to take this story and this message and be able to speak into your hearts, to whatever your situation is, and he would speak words of encouragement to you. For those of you who maybe are feeling like you're sinking, maybe even into despair, Jesus' hand would reach out and pull you up. For those of you maybe who are saying, I want to step out and do things which maybe even seem impossible like walking on water for Jesus' sake, and he's going to call you to get out of the boat and to do things for him. May God by his spirit apply the, this great story to our hearts this morning. 
This story, I think, calls us to do four things. First, the story is a call to just simply get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. So picking up the story, there's the background as you heard it. The disciples are on a boat. They're going across the sea. And they find themselves not just in the middle of a giant storm. They're actually in the middle of the night. A storm at night is far more terrifying even than a storm in the middle of the day. And sometime we read during the fourth watch of the night, which was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., so really right in the heart of all darkness when you're exhausted and now the storm is blowing, we read Jesus came out to them walking on the water. Now, it doesn't even cross the minds of the disciples that this might be Jesus. I mean, yes, Jesus, is, we've seen him do powerful things, no question about it. But it doesn't actually even cross their minds that it might be Jesus himself because, I mean, no living being can walk on water. That's just absurd to even think about that. Not even Jesus could do that. And so they think to themselves, this, this shadowy figure off in the distance, it must be a ghost or something. And so they begin to become very afraid. That's exactly what the storms of life do to us as well. Sometimes they honestly just feel even too big for Jesus. We wouldn't say it, but that's how we feel. But notice it is Jesus who comes to them. He plants his footsteps in the sea, and he rides upon the storm. The disciples are afraid, but we read in verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. It's not a ghost. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now that is so typical of Peter, isn't it? If you've read the story of the New Testament, Peter is so impulsive a lot of the time. In fact, we could say Peter's kind of reckless at times. None of the other disciples are saying this. This is Peter being able to speak out to Jesus. All the other disciples, they're just clinging to the one thing that kind of feels a little bit secure, which is the boat. I wonder if in their minds, or maybe even out loud, maybe it's not recorded for us, I wonder if they were thinking to themselves, I mean, Peter, don't be such a fool, man. Get back in the boat. Don't be such a fool. And if Peter had died, which in fact he almost did, I'm sure they would have said, oh, that, that was, that's tragic that Peter died. But I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> who, who does that? I mean, that's not faith. That's foolishness. That's recklessness. What do you think? Was Peter a fool? Was Peter reckless to do this? Some Bible commentators actually say he was. They say that Jesus invited Peter to come out of the boat in order to teach him a lesson, not to be such a fool and to use his brain a little bit. I think such commentators entirely miss the point of this passage. Of course it was impulsive of Peter. Is it reckless? Yeah, in a sense, very reckless. But right here, actually, we see what true faith in Jesus Christ looks like. Here we get a glimpse of what true love for Christ actually look like because true love and true faith for Christ in many ways to many people often does look a little bit foolish. It does look, quote, reckless, especially to those who do not know Jesus and, listen, to those who are merely religious. True faith and love for Christ often appears reckless to those who do not know Christ or to those who are merely religious people because to them, and in one sense, Peter should never have done such a reckless act. But oh, he shouldn't have done it 
like Mary, shouldn't have taken a bottle of perfume that was worth a year's wages, let's say a $60,000 bottle, dollar bottle of perfume, broken it open and then poured it all out onto Jesus' feet. Those around who were watching this were saying, what a foolish and reckless thing to do. What, a, what an utter waste. Yeah, Peter shouldn't have been so reckless with his faith. Like those four men who had a paralyzed friend, Shouldn't have been so reckless that they took him up onto the roof. They tore open a hole in a roof, lowered this man down because the doors were blocked from so many people that they couldn't get to Jesus so they could lower this man down in front of Jesus. That's kind of a reckless thing to do as well. Oh, maybe Peter shouldn't have been so reckless like Matthew the tax collector. Shouldn't have been so reckless when he gave up a really high-paying job and a comfortable life in order to go out on the road and follow a rabbi named Jesus. So yes, maybe... Peter shouldn't have been so reckless like Paul. The Apostle Paul was reckless when he was beaten, he was flogged, he was stoned for speaking about Jesus, and then he just got up and did it again and again and again. Maybe he shouldn't have been so reckless like William Wilberforce was when he just for decade after decade kept appearing before the British Parliament to try to abolish slavery across the British Empire despite the fact that everybody stood against him, everyone else was opposed, and for his whole entire life, year after year, got voted down. But he kept at it. Or maybe Peter shouldn't have been so reckless like Jim Elliot, who went to take the gospel message of Jesus Christ to an unreached people group within the jungles of Ecuador and was murdered by them the moment he arrived. In 2011, Heather and I were praying and thinking about how we could fulfill Christ's call to care for the needy, to care for the poor. And of course, one of the answers is you give money away, things like compassion, great, that's a good answer. We felt, how could we do more? How could we involve ourselves more in Jesus' call? And so God began to put on our hearts and we began to think about the fact that one of the greatest ways that we can do that is to adopt a child. I mean, 24 hours a day caring for a child in need. And so God put that on our hearts and so we began to go that direction. But you know what, even when we began to share with people that that's the way we were going in life, we had good Christians take us aside and say, that's extremely reckless to do. You shouldn't do that. You might wreck your own family by doing that. And I think to myself, since when is the call to serve Christ a call to stay in the boat? Since when is the call of Christ to maximize our own security and our own comfort. I mean, one of the great ironies of this story is the other disciples are clinging to the security of the boat in the middle of a storm when the creator of the universe is standing, what, 50, 100 feet away, something like that? I mean, who's secure here? That's one of the great ironies of the story. So one sign that you truly know Christ, that you truly love Christ, is when you look out at the world, you say to yourself, I want to serve Christ. I want to, to do something for him in this world. And whatever that is, it might seem very foolish to those who do not believe in Christ and even to those who are merely religious and do not know Christ. I mean, think about all the money that you give away to causes of Christ, to things like the church, to world missions, to the poor. I mean, if, if people knew how much money some of us give towards such cause, they'd say, that is foolish and reckless. Why would, what a silly thing to give your money towards. Or you begin to sign up to do hard things 
projects. Some projects are very difficult. And no one sees what you're doing, but you're doing it because you want to make a difference for Christ in the world, and it's hard. Or you try to share Christ with people as, as God opens doors for you. You spend time reading the Bible or praying. And to, again, to the outside world, if to anyone looking on, they'd say, that's just foolish. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of time. But you know what? From one perspective, it is. But I want to suggest from this passage, this story today, we need a whole lot more of this kind of foolishness. (laughs) We need a whole lot more of this kind of reckless faith. Now, that could go crazy, I know. You already are thinking, don't lead us too far, Bart. You might make people do things that are too crazy. Well, when the Apostle Paul talked about how he went and purposely embraced hardship and suffering in order to serve Christ, in order that people might know him, he wrote these words. He said, we are fools for Christ's sake. Does he literally mean we are foolish people? No, that's not what he means. He means from a certain perspective, someone who does not know Christ, what we are doing, yes, we are absolute fools. Oh, but not from the perspective of Christ himself. Our lives don't make sense to the world. And they don't make sense to merely religious people, but that is because they do not know Christ. They do not see Christ. So if you think I'm getting carried away here, then look at Christ's response. Look at verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And what did Jesus say to him? Did Jesus said, Peter, don't be, such an, don't be such a fool. God gave you a brain. Use your brain. You don't get out of boats and come to me. No, that's not what Jesus said. Here's what we read next. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Jesus endorsed Peter's, quote, reckless faith. And so it is with us. Christ still challenges us to break away from formal types of religion, to follow him, to to serve him, to say, how can you use your life in small ways? You don't have to think about changing the world, but just little things, how you can serve us. He calls us to get out of the boat. Do you have desires to serve Jesus in some way, no matter how small? Do you have desires like that? Christ says, come. Come. Do you have a longing maybe to take the gospel overseas? You want to be a missionary, for instance? Well, people might say you are a fool. Your own family might think that you are a fool. Christ says, come. Do you have a desire to say, hey, God is prospering me financially. I want to start giving away large sums of money to the causes of Christ instead of just buying more and more things for myself. Christ says, come. Do you want to step out and live the holy life that Jesus has called you to? The standards are high. It's it's, it's holiness that he's calling you to. But Christ, when you feel that desire to say, I want to obey you, Jesus, he says, come. What is in your heart today that you think, I want to do something for Jesus. I want to serve him. It might feel like it's impossible. Walking on waves? is impossible, especially in the middle of the night, especially in the middle of a storm. Whatever that thing is that you say, I'd like to serve Jesus. I want my life to make a difference for him. However small that thing may be, Christ says come.
Haven't we stayed in the boat long enough? It's not secure anyways. It's all false. All the comfort and security, it's not really that secure at all. Haven't we stayed in the boat long enough? Maybe it's time to get out of the boat. Christ says come. So the first thing is to get out of the boat. Now in the second place, fear the storm. Fear the storm. Now, I don't mean by that that it's a good thing to fear the storm. What I'm simply saying here is this is exactly what happens in our experience. We fear the storm, just like Peter did, just like the disciples did. We, so we, what happens with us is we do get out of the boat. Okay, Jesus, I want to serve you. You've saved me. I'm so filled with joy. I want, I want to get out of the boat. I want to serve you. And so we say we begin to do that. We start doing even the things that we feel originally. We thought, that's impossible. I could never do that. But then what happens to Peter happens to us. Look at verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid. And we read, he begins to sink. Peter is out doing the impossible. Literally impossible. But as he looks at Jesus across the waves, though suddenly all of the sounds and all, everything around him grabs his attention. I mean, maybe he's walking and suddenly becomes aware of the wind slamming into his chest. Maybe he's, it's dark out, but maybe at night the, as the waves are cresting, he sees the wind just tear across the top of a black wave and the spray goes against him, maybe across his face or something. And he suddenly becomes aware of the this storm that is all around him. And remember, Peter's an experienced fisherman. Suddenly, Peter knows. He knows the danger that he is in. And in that moment, the reality of the storm was far greater to him than the reality of Jesus. The reality of the storm was greater than the reality of Jesus, and fear consumed his heart. Now again, isn't this our experience as well? As I said at the beginning, when we meet Jesus, we say, thank you for saving me. I want to serve you now. We, Jesus says, come, come out and serve me. Do something for me. We begin to get out of the boat. We start actually doing the things and we think, man, I never even thought I could maybe serve Jesus in this way. Ah, but then we discover it's all a lot harder than we thought. So for instance, sometimes maybe we experience the winds of doubt crashing against us doubts where we just come in and think this is so difficult maybe I was foolish to even try this in the beginning maybe I was mistaken or maybe it's the winds of criticism you're trying to serve other people that's one of the biggest calls that Jesus gives us but man other people the very ones you're serving they can be so petty they can be so harsh at times maybe it's the winds a responsibility. Maybe you've taken on some type of a leadership role. You start to discover, as anyone in leadership does, the leadership is really difficult. Or maybe it's the winds of your own sin. You tried to change. But those patterns of sin, those desires, they're just too powerful. Now you wonder why you even bothered to fight at all against it. It just feels like a losing battle. So here, here's again what I think is happening. We love Christ. Can't believe he saves us. We want to serve him. He says, come. We get out of the boat. We begin to do the impossible even. And suddenly all the storm around us begins to consume our attention. All the hardships begin to strike us. We see the wind as Peter did. 
And all of a sudden we're realizing, why did I ever do this in the first place? And the reality of the storm becomes greater than the reality of that joy that we had in Christ at the beginning. And then notice the exact phrasing of verse 30. It says that when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Beginning to sink. Peter has not yet sunk. He is beginning to sink. And perhaps the other disciples in the boat didn't even notice from their vantage point. Maybe they didn't see. It doesn't say how far he began to sink. But Peter knew something was seriously wrong. He was beginning to sink. This was the critical moment for Peter. It is the critical moment for us. You know, sometimes we say to ourselves when someone's whole life just collapses because they did something foolish, we say to ourselves, how could that have ever happened? I mean, I didn't see that coming. But they, they seem so outwardly put together, and maybe that's even you today. Outwardly, it looks like things are going well for you, but you know inside you're not mastering the waves. You know your grip is slipping. You know maybe, maybe there's some secret sin in your life, and you know. Your eyes aren't fixed on Christ and you're beginning to sink. You know maybe you've lost that original love for Christ that you had and you're beginning to sink. Maybe others don't even see it yet. The key here is that's the time to deal with it. When you begin to sink, that's the time when you have to do something. Is this not how our Christian life so often works? We go through this repeatedly. We love Christ We want to serve him, we get out of the boat. We start serving him, the wind and the storm around us become so powerful that that reality becomes greater than the reality of Christ and so fear consumes our heart and then we begin to sink. If that's you, then what should you do next? Here's the third point in the answer to that question. Scream for help. Scream for help. Whatever has caused you to lose sight of Christ, whatever has filled your heart with fear, whatever storm is causing you to sink, there's really only one perfect and appropriate response to do, and that is to scream for help. Look at verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I think it was that fast. It wasn't a, Lord, save me. You know that moment. I remember almost getting in a car accident with my wife once. We were driving along, big longer story. But just, we were spinning out of control on a highway going into oncoming traffic. Just said, Jesus, save us. And he did, thankfully. That's Peter in this moment. Lord, save me. This prayer is one of the shortest prayers in the whole Bible. You You don't sit down in this moment and think, I need to compose a prayer to Almighty God. That's not what you do in that moment. You just cry out from the depths of your heart. Whatever you're going through, shortest prayer, one of the shortest prayers in the Bible, it's raw, it's real, it just comes right up from his heart. Those words cried out mean to scream, to shriek, to shout. And that's exactly what Peter did. So same with us. Do you feel like maybe you can't go on? You're beginning to sink. Then like Peter, you cry out, Lord, save me. And so we read in verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
immediately. Camp out on that word for a second. Jesus' hand immediately reaches. As soon as Peter cries out for help, Jesus' hand immediately reaches. Isn't this always one of the most famous scenes in a movie uh, ever? Some guy, you know, I don't know, maybe he's fallen out of an airplane or he's about to fall off a cliff into a big pit of lava or something. And last second, all of a sudden, a hand reaches out and grabs the person as they're falling, saving their life. This is the hand that reaches out to save us. The hand that reaches out to us is none other than Christ himself. Jesus, the one who is with us, the one who is for us, the one whose whole title is Savior, the one who comes to save, to rescue, he is the one who reaches out his hand when we cry out to him when we are beginning to sink. And this is why he gently rebukes Peter about his faith. What he's basically saying is, Peter, did you really think that I would ask you to come out onto these waters and then not give you the ability to do it? Peter, did you really think that I would command you to do something and then not give you the resources to follow through on it? Ah, that's what Jesus is saying to us as well. Why is your faith so small? Look at who it is who's called you. Do you really think, Jesus is saying to all of us, that I would ask you to do things which are seemingly impossible and I would not give you my power to do it? Do you really think I would command you to this impossible standard of living a holy life and I would not give you the power in order to live a holy life? Do you really think I would call you to whatever role you have, to be a parent? Maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you're a caregiver to your aging parents. Maybe you're a missionary. Maybe you're a leader in some Christian organization. Maybe you're volunteering in some role. Jesus is saying, do you really think that I would call you to serve me and then not give you the ability to do it? That's what the Savior is saying to us. So you have little faith. Why do you doubt? Peter has been rescued. So let me be just a little vulnerable with you, not to gain sympathy for myself, because I think this is my experience, and I trust that this tweaks in your own mind for your own experience. So when Christ really got a hold of my life, let's say around 17 years old or so, and I just, same thing as probably most of us, just Jesus, I want to use my life to serve you. I don't even know what that looks like right now. And for me, obviously, my story turns into becoming a pastor one day, and that's not the vast majority of your stories. You should thank God for that. No, I'm just kidding. It's a great privilege uh, to serve as a pastor, but whatever your role is, Christ called me to that, and so I got out of the boat and say, all right, Jesus, I want to serve you, and I discovered being a pastor is a lot harder than I thought. It's really not that easy. Some people expect me to walk on water, and I just can't walk on water by myself. I'll be really honest with you. I'm grateful that God has given me some gifts. I have some gifts that can bless other people, but there's many gifts that I do not have and don't pretend to have either. But what I discovered was the whole thing of serving Jesus in this role is a lot harder than I ever imagined. I'm glad, I think it's one of the graces that God gives to young people that when you're young, you are naive. And that naivety actually is one of the greatest traits of young people because the older you get, the more you know how hard the storm's going to be. And so then you can easily just be like, I don't want to go there. I'm going to try and do something else instead when really Jesus is still saying, come, what do you think I'm calling you to? You think this whole thing's going to be easy? I'm asking you to come out and to serve me. And so in those moments, that's what I tried to do. But being a pastor is not always easy. But you know what? Here's, Here's my testimony to you, and I trust this is your testimony as well. 
When those moments have come where the storm is so great around me and I am beginning to sink because I just think, I don't even know if I can be a pastor, quite frankly. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I want to do this. It's sometimes too hard for me. In those moments and I cry out to Jesus, I need you. I need you to help me here. His hand reaches out and he pulls me up again. And Jesus does that in many different ways. Sometimes it's through reading the Bible and it's through a certain scripture that my heart just feels encouraged again. Okay, sit, fix your eyes on Christ. Keep taking another step. Sometimes it's through other people. Even this morning, my heart was feeling a little heavy. Showed up to church. I had a little note, a, a card in my box, an anonymous card of thanks, uh, of just appreciation to me, whoever you are. Thank you. That was Christ's hand reaching out to me this morning even speaking. So I think Christ encourages us, rescues us through the wisdom and encouragement of other people. Sometimes it's through a song you're listening to and all of a sudden your mind gets back on track. You were too focused on the wind and waves and the song gets you back to fixing your eyes on Christ. So I'm not saying any of that to gain sympathy for myself. I'm sharing that for you to say, okay, we're all human. (laughs) We're all trying to follow Christ But man, it literally is impossible like walking on water in the dark, in the storm. Ah, but Christ, when we call upon him, his hand reaches out and he grabs us and he rescues us. So I think this whole thing that we're looking at, this whole story, it's a repeated thing. We just keep going through this. We keep getting out of the boat. We experience the storm. We begin to sink. We call on Jesus to save us. And we just keep going through this. And what Jesus is trying to do for us each and every time is to increase our trust in him. He keeps saying to us, why are you doubting? Keep your eyes fixed on me. Our hearts easily get overwhelmed by the storm, but we must learn how true it is when our Savior says to us, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Get out of the boat, fear the storm, scream for help, and now in the final place, worship the master of the storm. Worship the master of the storm. Let's finish the story now in verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is what we do as well. When Jesus reaches down his hand and rescues us, however he does that through other people, through the scriptures, through a song, whatever it is, he rescues us. We're learning more and more every day. Truly you are the son of God. Truly you are a one who can be trusted. I'm sorry, I forgot it again, Jesus, and I began to sink again, but you rescued me again. You've lifted up my heart. You saved me from the deadly deeds of discouragement, disillusionment, and even despair again. Oh, Jesus, truly you are the Son of God. Like the disciples, we bow before him and we begin to learn the text again of Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author of our faith. He's the one that began it. And he is the perfecter of our faith. He will get us from point A to point B. He will get us through the storm. How can you trust that that's the case? Well, maybe right now you just feel like you're sinking when the storm around you is too great. You got to know he'll never let you go. How can you know, how can you trust that Jesus will not let you go 
when he calls you out to do those impossible things, whatever they may be, how can you trust that? You can trust it because Jesus entered into the greatest storm in all of history. The storm of this world, of our sin and of our death, of death that comes to us. The Father said to the Son, Son, the only way we can save these people, I want to send you on a mission. This mission is going to be that you are going to go to the cross and on the cross, you are going to face the greatest storm in the history of the universe, the storm of my wrath and judgment against sin. You're going to face it. Son, I want you to do this. And Jesus said, I voluntarily do it. I will do this. And so the son went to the cross and there he faced not just the deadly deeds of discouragement, of disillusionment, he also faced the worst of all the deeds. He faced death itself. And as Jesus was beginning to sink, he screamed for help. But no hand reached out to grab him. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No hand came down to his aid. No hand reached down from heaven to rescue him from facing all the judgment and the wrath that is due to us for our sins. Rather, he was abandoned in the storm and he sunk beneath the waves. Jesus did not just begin to sink, he sunk And he sunk all the way under the waves to the very bottom where he lay down in the depths of the grave for three days. From all outward appearances, it seems that his trust in his father was useless. It all seems too reckless. It all seems foolish. It all seems like Jesus can't even save himself. How can we put our trust into him who can't even rescue himself? But on the third day, God raised him from the dead. Jesus burst up from the depths of the grave, burst through the surface of the waters of death, and now the risen Christ is the master of the storm. The risen Christ is the master over sin, the master over death, the master over all evil powers, and the master over all of human history, including all the circumstances that you and I will face. He is the master of the storm, and therefore we can trust that he will not let us go. For Jesus was forsaken on the cross. No hand reached out to help him in order that when you cry out to God, you will never be forsaken and the hand will always reach out to grab you. Especially, not just through the circumstances of life, but especially when all of us one day must sink beneath the waves of death, the hand of the master will reach down and pull us out of the grave and raise us to eternal life. So friends, whatever your storm is, whatever Jesus is calling you to do, trust him, for he is the risen Christ. He would not call you to do something for him if he was not always going to carry you through it. And when you forget that and you begin to sink and you keep calling out to him, his hand will keep grabbing you time and time again. And one day, his hand will grab you and it will bring you up to eternal life.
trust and worship the master of the storm. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you not only rescue us from sin and death, you call us to serve you. And Jesus, the things you call us to, they really do seem, well, many times they seem impossible. So, Father, wherever people are at today, wherever we are beginning to sink because we have allowed the wind and the waves to overwhelm us, help us to see you, to fix our eyes on you. For what is a storm when the creator of the universe walks the waves? What, a, what kind of false security is a boat when the creator of the universe stands only a few feet away? So Jesus, help us to fix our eyes on you. Save anyone today who feels like they are sinking. Save them and bring them up again to follow you afresh. Jesus, we praise you, the master of the storm. Truly you are the son of God. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.